Welcome to I Sleep Great, a non-parent's guide to parenting. I think it's safe to say that every parent understands the importance of play and encouraging creativity in their child. Take music, for instance. Music ignites all areas of child development. It helps the body and the mind work together, and during early child development, it helps them learn the sounds and meanings of words. Nurture the Next teaches the importance of play and brain development, from making toys and instruments to using music as a tool for calming emotions and for learning. So I'm really excited to welcome today's guest, Mr. Steve Music Man. Mr. Steve is a writer and performer who creates high-quality, socially conscious music for children. On today's episode, we discuss the importance of enthusiasm, how a five-year-old song once brought him to tears, and then we get a little live ukulele music from the man himself. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is supported by Chorus, a strategic communications and marketing firm that partners with organizations that shape our society, including nonprofits, social enterprises, government programs, and political candidates. The team at Chorus is deeply passionate about communicating with purpose. Their expertise is helping clients promote strong women, healthy families, and thriving communities. Their work has proven that when done right, communications is a catalyst for positive change. Chorus provides a range of strategic communication services but they are especially good at developing compelling messaging and outreach and marketing plans that are intentional and impactful. Visit www.workwithchorus.com to learn more. That's Chorus, C-H-O-R-U-S. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, Steve. My name is Mr. Steve, the music man. I realized before you came in here today, I was like, I don't know Mr. Steve's last name. Yeah. Presumably you have a last name and a birth certificate, but I don't want to know it. Steve is my last name. Mr. is my first name. (laughs) Uh, Your parents screwed up. Where are you from? Arkansas. What part of Arkansas? Central Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. So I grew up in Little Rock and then went to high school in a place called Conway, which is like a suburb of Little Rock, about 30 miles north. So you're Mr. Steve, the music band. Yeah. What do you do, Mr. Steve? So professionally, I make kids music. That's kind of my bag. I, I write kids songs, really getting into the video world. I've had a kids show that was on the radio station here in Nashville for a couple of years. And we're taking that and we're putting that to a podcast form, a uh, kids call in show. So, yeah, I mean, I perform and professionally, I mean, it's all I entertain children for a living. Rattle off the hits for us. Yeah, we got a song called Don't Text and Drive. On the way to school, just remember this rule, don't text and drive. We have a song called Trees of the Hair of the Earth. Right. Uh, Pizza Party, Cover That Cough, that's a new one coming out soon. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, that's a hit. Uh, let's think what else we have. Cover That Cough. Yeah, you kind of got it. Yes. Cover it. Yeah, you pretty much got it. Usually when kid people like say, hey, Steve, we want you to write a kid song. They'll say, uh, hey, kids, why don't you cover that? You know, like they always start with, hey, kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what it is, but people are always like, they always say, you should write a song about that. That's like their MO to me. Like, you should write a song about that. And I'm sure you love that. At first I didn't, but now I do like it because that means they're thinking about it. And, it's, you know, it's like talking to a comedian saying you should write a joke about that or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I always say, I already do. All right. I always say this subject writes itself, doesn't it? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of what people kind of hit me with typically. You should write a song about that. Or they say, Hey kids, you should write, you know, like that's kind of their, their bag when they talk to me about kids music. How did you get into this? 
Well, what happened is I came to Nashville for music business to be a manager. And I, I loved music and I played guitar and I played in the band in high school, played saxophone, but I never thought a career musically was in store for me. And then after my freshman year, I went on tour with a band called The Samples. And I tour managed, it was a six person crew, five person band, tour bus. We went all across the States. And after a year of doing that, I really realized that musicians have way more fun than management. When you're a musician, they ask you what you want to eat. When you're the manager, you say, what do you want to eat? And you write it down and you yeah. take the order. So, and so when I got off the road, a friend of mine gave me a record from a Nashville artist named Kyle Andrews, who is incredible. I mean, he's just a one man kind of bedroom songwriter. I mean, and as since then has elevated his production, of course, but I got this record and I was listening to it. I was like, man, I can do this. I don't know what it was, but I felt so empowered by this record. And I just started to kind of, I was like, I want to write, I've always, always tried to write songs in high school. I could never do. I heard this record. And I was like, I know I can do this. And Thanksgiving was coming up. I was like, I'm gonna write a song about Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, let's just take a topic and write. Let's not try to write a song about feeling. So I wrote this song about Thanksgiving. I was like, that's good. I just knew it was good. And then Do you I remember what the message was or what the lyrics were. It was like gobble, gobble. I was going to say gobble, 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 what's gobble. Next? Wobble, wobble. It's turkey day. Oh, I love that. Gobble, gobble, wobble, wobble. It's turkey day. Yeah, pretty much. But then I had this little outro section that was a kind of riff groove thing that kind of came in. And I was like, oh, this transformed it from being like anyone can write a kid song to like parts and like something musically that I enjoyed. And it, from there, it just, I wrote a song about my friend becoming a doctor and I wrote a song, I wrote something else. And it was like, I think these are good. Yeah. And that charge I got from Ryan, that was something I've never had before. And so when I quit being on the road, being a tour manager and I went back to school at Belmont, I was showing some of my musician friends. They're like, ah, look at you. You did it. Good job. Yeah. And so that encouraged me to write more. And then I wrote this whole, I wrote a whole record in like six months. So I went from never writing a song to write a whole record in six months. What um, year is this? This is 2002. Oh, wow. Okay. Or no, 2003, 2003, 2004. How old would you have been at the uh, time? I was 1920. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was just crazy. And so from there I was writing for the year. And then the next year, my dad was like, do you, I can help you make the record if you want some money for the record. I was like, I would love that. And we just made this incredible record. And the guys that produced it, one was Ian Fitchuk and the other was Justin Lauks. And Ian, two years ago, won a Grammy for producing Casey Musgraves' record. Oh, wow. And all those guys that were in that group have all gone on to do amazing things. And it was something that I think this is kind of like anyone, like when you're around great, like really great people and people that are really pros at what they do, and they were young too. It's not like they were like by any means where they're at now, but they were amazing musically and it just elevated everything. Sure. And they were into it. They were excited about it. And they were like, I was getting respect from people that the year before or two years before I, were my friends where I never thought I could be able to make a record with. And all of a sudden we're peers in a way. So I made this amazing record and it's on spot. It's under my name, Mr. Steve, and you can check it out. And it's just a self-titled record, but it really gave me the juice to like, continue going on. And at that point, none of my friends had kids. And so that was where I was like, kind of lacking. Like I had the, I had the songs, but I didn't have the knowledge. Yes. You know what I mean? In the early days of Mr. Steve's career, he was in the same shoes as myself. While he was getting some traction as a songwriter for children's music, he didn't have any kids himself. 
The next step was for him to do what I'm trying to do here, to learn. I want to explore that a little right. bit. Part of what I want to talk about is encouraging creativity, but it's also what was that knowledge you were lacking and, and what did you start to, to find out? I just didn't know how kids took music in. I just didn't know children. I mean, I was just a child, really. I just didn't know at all. I had no idea, no clue about... Even though we've all been children. That's right. Well, this is the thing. It turns out the instincts that I had musically were right on with children. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was. I have an ability to write very simple, hooky songs, and it just works. Performing for children is a different beast than recording music for kids, but I haven't changed any of the way I write songs, really. I mean, I have a better understanding, but... The same way I write songs back then is the same way I write now. I just had it early. And I think part of it was when I was young, there was a couple instances where I had to be adult very quickly. And so part of me, I felt like lost a little bit of my childhood. And I think part of it is trying to kind of stay in that world yeah, a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, that's sad, but I, I know what you mean. It's yeah. sad, but man, it's, I feel so blessed to be able to live in that world. I was hip to the world very early. I knew it was going on very early and it, I didn't have anything like really crazy traumatic happen to me, but there were just a couple instances that just, um, really, I had this like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a kid. And it just was crazy. So I think I'm kind of frozen and being 10 years old yeah. in my life. I feel like since that age, not much has changed. You know, I can drive a car. I've got a little bit more knowledge about how the world works, but you've retained that childlike curiosity and sensibility. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Yeah. And I want to get back to that yes, in terms of that, parents. And that's but, key too. But let's let's return to real quick. You're embarking on this journey. And what did you learn in terms of subject matter with kids, I guess? Subject matter with children, you have to present things very simply. So whether that is the verse, whether that's the chorus, it has to be simple in certain ways. Now, the way I look at things is once you've established the simplicity, then you can add the complexity to it. You can have a bridge that maybe is a little bit above their heads as far as information or a message that you're trying to send. But since they're already with you, they can go there with you too. And I think eventually that's kind of like the next steps as far as like what I'm trying to do musically and songwriting wise for kids is kind of approach subjects that are... Uh, a little bit deeper than you would typically get. And it depends on what age group you're working with too, because I teach preschool music. So I know infants to five-year-olds very well, as far as like music and how to get them. But as far as like getting a message across, I think it's how you present that. It's like, I'm not trying to lower the ball. I'm trying to raise the bar a little bit higher that they can reach for, but then have it almost ideas like they can grab it and I bring them up a little bit higher. I mean, I think that's kind of always, always try to do musically and sonically production wise too. Like if you listen to a lot of kids music, you know, it's bad. Oh yeah. It's really bad. Well, I have a theory, not really a theory on that necessarily, but I, uh, my rule with kids is you don't patronize them. Yeah. You don't, you don't talk down to them. No. You hit them with the, the real stuff. Talk to them like you talk to an adult. Yeah. I mean, granted your subject matter might be about Pokemon yeah. or it might be about whatever that child is into, but yeah, just talk to, Hey, what's up? What's happening? What are yeah. you working on there? And just ask questions. Yeah. People always ask me, how are you able to communicate so well to my kid? Or like, I have a friend of mine who's 13 year old son. He's like, he talks more to you. I learn more about my kid in 30 minutes than I do about three months when you come over. I'm like, I just ask him questions yeah. and you're his dad. He's 13. He doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's probably why I've excelled in this is that I genuinely am interested in what they have to say, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to enthusiasm. Like if someone's excited about something, then I want to know why they're excited about it. 
You know, like I just don't have like, man, I'm not into that. Yeah. I'd really just enjoy and just love people. And I love meeting them where they're at and then understanding like, oh, this is why they're into this. And I just always love that. And I love to be, I just like to be excited. I think is what it is. I think enthusiasm, if, if there's one thing that's going to be the theme of what we're talking about, is I think enthusiasm is such a key to kind of anything that I do. You know, it's like being enthusiastic about being with someone when they're in a bad spot. Mm -hmm you know, meeting them there and being, and then maybe enthusiasm is the wrong word, but I guess it's like, I'm, I'll get excited to be like, I'm excited to go through this with you. I know it sucks. I know it's hard, but I'm excited to be here with you. And I'm, it's honored to be at this place with you. So I think that's kind of been the key to, as far as like, if I could tell anyone that's a parent or that's not a parent, talk to them like they're just a regular person, obviously like show them the respect that you show anyone else really. And it'll be easier if you kind of think of it in those terms, if you, if you really think about them, like, this is just another human, I know that's a child, but like respect that they're just like a friend of yours or someone that your own age, it just makes things easier. If you don't think of it in terms of like, I need to be a, a parent to them. And obviously you're parenting things you gotta do, but, and parents are different necessarily than like friends of the parents or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. It's just never been a problem as far as like communicating and understanding what they're talking about. You've been doing this, let's say you started around 2002. You've been doing this for nearly two decades. How many kids, children, would you say you've interacted with in that time? I mean, you got to think about all the schools that I've taught at. So I've taught at Belmont Weekday. I've taught at the Jewish preschool here, the JCC in West Hollywood. I taught at, so I've been at five preschools. And then, I mean, I've done over 300 birthday parties, events, and shows. I mean, tens of thousands, Yeah, maybe, maybe more, honestly. I've definitely interacted with more children than probably anyone else that you know. And that's the thing, like, thought about that. and it's weird because a single dude, like as a dude that doesn't have kids and is not married, like I'm very aware of that as well, you know? And I was going to say objective. Right. Well, which is why you and I are the perfect people right. for the, the <laughs> I sleep great, a non-parent's guide to parenting <laughs> podcast. Because right, these parents who, I mean, they're just biased, you know, towards right. their kids, but you and I see it from a... That's, yeah, that's very true. Well, and it's funny, I've seen a lot of parents and I, when I know a parent's a good parent, I, I go out my way and say, you know, you do a really good job. You know, you got a really great kid. They're very respectful. And I've seen all, all types of just parenting and the way people do things. And, you know, it's wild because people ask me for advice sometimes, you know. My friends at Nurture the Next encourage parents to keep an open ear in mind when it comes to their children. Life is so busy that sometimes it's hard to slow down and be intentional. But that's where we learn how best to be there for our children. Mr. Steve had this to say. One thing, and I think it's really apparent, the power of music with children, because if the kid's feeling it, they're feeling it. And that's kind of been the beauty of what I've been able to do is I've been able to, through preschool or shows, parents are able to see their child in a new light they haven't seen him before. They've seen him be able to dance and go crazy in a way that they haven't seen. So, yeah, I, I think... Music really has a way to open kids up and make them feel comfortable. There was a, a kid that I taught when I went to a school. They're like, hey, this just heads up. This kid's real quiet. Don't call on him. Don't, you know, just let him be in the corner, let him do his thing. But once I was there about a month, the kid came alive. The kids could not believe how much the child interacted. And it just lays out a, a medium that they can be comfortable in and feel empowered in. And it's really, it's a beautiful thing, because especially like when you're doing preschool, a preschool class, you're doing a show or you're doing any kind of performing, when you have the whole room connected, it's 
transcendental. I mean, it's really like a special thing. It doesn't happen every time, but when it does happen, you can feel the spirit in the room of music. It's it's cheesy. It's to talk about and I don't I don't bring it up a lot, but it just really shows you how incredible it can be. It's like, you know, it's kind of like any kind of comedian when he goes into a comedy club or a room, like sometimes you got to work to get them. You got to work the crowd. You got to understand like who's the problem, who's not the problem, who's into it, what kids are not into it. And how do you get them into it? Because once they're into it, the person next to them's into it. So it's like, you almost have to think of everything as you kind of have to f- feel the room and know what's going on in the room. Well, you know, it's to go back to the comedian thing for a second. It's like they say laughter is the sound of recognition. Mm. So to hear a laugh is to hear an audience, a collective audience recognizing a truth in in something. And I've never experienced that, but I've heard that people recognize certain things, Um, but what are you, that was a, that was a good joke. Uh, um, I've never been recognized. I've never been recognized (laughs) with my comedy, but what is your objective when you, go into a school or you play a party? What, what is your objective in playing music? Well, it depends. When I go to play a birthday party, I want them to have fun. Honestly, I want the birthday kid to have fun and I want the parents to see them, their kid have fun because they're paying me for their kid. Sometimes the birthday child is not into it or whatever, but then it's like, okay, I got to work the room and make sure I, I just, you need to like lift the spirit of the room. But you know, when I go and perform a show, you know, you want everyone to have fun. You want them to be engaged. But I think ultimately when I teach preschool music or when I go play a show, ultimately I just want kids to love music and I want them to love to sing. And I want them to just love to learn to love music, you know? And some preschools are like, well, do you teach music? You know, how do you do that? I'm like, I let someone else worry about X's and O's in music. I want them to love to sing. I want them to lo- just love music. And if they want to move on to when they get into the their next school, if they want to pursue piano or guitar, or they want a teacher that does that, they can do that. But that's not my bag. Like my bag is to teach kids to love music, and especially with recordings and stuff. It's like it allows conversations and it allows rewards too. Like sometimes when I did, parents would tell me, you know, our reward for them to clean the room is to listen to this. Or when I was doing the radio show, the kids would like, when we got up on Thursday, we had to get up early to listen to your show. And that was their reason to get up early and make their bed and all that stuff. So, you know, obviously parents use it for a reward system, but you know, it's just like setting vibe, man. It's like getting the vibes right and just getting love and, and the positivity in the air, you know, and music can shift a room. And one thing that I love that, that I've been able to be a part of is a organization called Musicians on Call. Are you familiar with that at all? I'm so not. Musicians on Call is it's an organization that takes musicians and puts them in hospital rooms. So they do it for adults. We do it for kids as well. And so before the pandemic, I would go to the hospitals and play in rooms. And that in itself is the highest form of being able to do what I do as far as entertainment. Because you go in the room and you don't know what's going on that day. You don't know why the kid's sick. You don't know why they're there. And that is something that's, especially when a child is sick, if life and death is online, cause I'll go do cancer wings and stuff. And to be able to bring a little bit of levity to the room after a hard day of whatever they've been going through, it's kind of priceless because when someone's sick and they're teetering on that scale of, of good and bad, if I can drop a little bit on the good side to help them recover, it's incredible. And, you know, I've had parents after we do the room is like, you know, we haven't smiled in two days. This yeah. is the first time my kids laughed. It's so fun because I don't think I work harder for an audience than that one kid. And sometimes they don't want to laugh, you know, and I'll walk and I say, Hey, my name is Mr. Steve. And I make silly music 
is it okay if we have a moment to be silly or whatever? And they'll say, yeah, mm-hmm, and they, whatever. If, if I, if I see this thing and I just, I just work it so hard. It's just like, I'm going crazy. I'm like bouncing around the room and I my, my guitar's real colorful and it's beautiful. And, and the songs are silly and I'll give them options. Like, do you want to hear a song about whales? Do you want to hear a song about trees? Do you want to hear a song about, but you know, whatever. And sometimes they don't care or respond. But if I see him crack a smile, I'm like, oh, I got you. Got an opening. Let's go. And then yeah. like, once I see that smile, it's like, it's the takeoff. And that is feeling like I can do music to heal. And I think that, you know, just whether that's putting positivity in the room and just being able to shift just that negative thinking. It's like, whenever someone laughs, they don't feel pain or whatever. They probably might feel if they have a back problem, they laugh, it hurts. But like, I think, you know, when I think about music or think about laughter, I think, the thing about laughter and music, particularly laughter to me, is it's a response to saying, okay, it's the truth, but it also makes you present. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a big thing. Like yeah. It makes you completely present because you're laughing. It's involuntary and you're in that moment. You're not thinking anything else about what you're doing. So it's really, I guess it's a long-winded answer to, to your question, but there's just different ways that music can uh, connect with, with children. And just it just kind of determines the environment and what is needed for that situation. And that's probably something parents can pull out of too, is what music can I play in the morning to get the kids going that they know, like that their body knows, like it's time to get up when they hear yeah. certain songs. And by something. the way, you, you have a song about getting up I do. in the morning. What the hell, what's that song? It's called Wake Up, Wake Up, Get Out of Bed, uh, uh, and Start Your Day Today. I mean, it's like simple, but it's like, that's the thing. That's the hook, it's simple, but then you kind of, it gets a little bit more complex as the verses go, but you always go back to the wake up part. Well, it's, I just asked because it's funny because I'm, I'm not a morning person and I was listening to that song this morning trying to get ready for my morning and I was sort of rebelling right. a, a little bit to it. I right. was like, I will not. Right. Yeah. I'm staying in bed, right. mom. Right. You, know? yeah. you got the ukulele now. Got my uke. It's called a baritone ukulele. It's awesome. All right. This is a song called Don't Text and Drive. Here we go. Remember this rule Don't text and drive Put down the phone And watch the road Don't text and drive When you hear that beep Keep your eyes on the street A Beep, 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 beep Honk Don't you know We are precious cargo So don't text and drive Today, healthcare providers face a daunting task of caring for the health and well-being of others because resources and staff are stretched thin. At Seracor, we provide healthcare IT services that help empower clinical staff, providers, and hospital operators to focus on what they do best, patient care. Seracor has a heritage rooted in our nation's top performing hospitals. With more than 30 years of experience, we partner with hospitals and health systems to become an extension of their technology team. Our clinical and technical professionals work with care locations to provide comprehensive IT and application support, technical professional and managed services, IT advisory services, and EHR consulting. Visit us at seracore.net. That's C-E-R-E-C-O-R-E.net to learn how we help tackle tough IT challenges.
At Cerecor, we know firsthand the power that integrated technology has on patient care and communities. That's why healthcare IT is the core of what we do. I have a couple questions for yeah. you. You know, we're, this is a show for new parents with newborns. Sure. And I'm trying to think, you know, what was your first memory of music? So I have a couple of first memories. You know, for, my dad's a guitar player. Like on the side, he was like a music minister, but he wasn't cheese by any means. But, yeah. you know, he's a, amazing. I wish I had his guitar playing skills. He's an amazing finger player and like, and just, he's just very technical. And I'm not very technical. I'm trying to learn to be more technical, but so like him playing guitar growing up, I was singing James Taylor and, and so like what age would that have been? I mean, from as long as I can remember. Well, cause I guess what I'm wondering is for new parents who are, let's say, you know, your MO as a new parent is to make sure this child has a good environment that right. it's surviving and well-fed. Right. Right. And then at some point you may say, Hey, we want to encourage creativity in this child. Right. But I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this cause it's like a clinical question, but like, is music important? to the newborn. Cause like, they're obviously not like at, at three months right. or six months understanding James Taylor lyrics, but right. is it good to like start to create that? Yeah, environment? I mean, of course I can't imagine in any world that it would hurt a child to have music going from when they're born to wherever. It makes me laugh. Cause a friend of mine, I had a newborn. He said, the only thing that will calm my newborn is this young Jeezy song. So it's, I just can't imagine that it not helping. Yeah. And this is the thing, like when I teach, you know, I'll teach uh, nine months is about right when they'll start doing like uh, hand motions and the business, they call it finger play. I don't like that term. I call them hand motions. <laughs> <laughs> and so but about nine months to 10 months is when I've noticed that kids will start to like, well, the ones that really connect to is like five monkeys jumping on the bed. You know, one fellow bumped their head. The mom will call the doctor. And the doctor said, no more monkeys jumping on the bed. And the no more monkeys jumping on the bed is a finger wag. Mm -hmm. And that's when I've noticed kids. Start to wag the that's finger. That's kind of like when they start to get it. So nine months to 12 months, especially if I've been going there, if they expect me to come in every week, that's pretty wild because you see the developmental differences and who's developed quicker and, and whatever. But you can see their sense of humor early. You see what makes them laugh. You mm -hmm. see what songs is funny to them. You see what words you sing or you do or, or dance motion you do that makes them connect and they laugh. So, you know, really early that they can pick all that stuff up. And that's the thing about, you know, for new parents, this is what I would teach. I would tell them, and this is what I tell parents in general, don't worry about what your voice sounds like. Don't worry about if you're on pitch or not, because it's not about that with kids. It's about the joy of singing. They don't know whether you're off pitch or they don't know if you're sharp or flat. They don't know any of that. Yeah. They just know that you're singing and you're having fun. They connect to it. It's beautiful. Music can connect dots like other things can't. And yeah. if you really want to feel like you're getting a jump start with your kids, start singing to them early. Sing a favorite song of yours. Sing a Beatles song or absolutely a, sing a little Steely Dan, you know, yeah, like that's for, all right. for real. I mean, just start singing with them. And you know, once you start incorporating some hand motions and start doing some sound, like if you do like some sound effects and stuff, like kids love all that stuff and they connect to it and they love it. It's exciting. It's like, and if you're able to really just kind of like create that habit, you know, maybe every night you sing a song or you have certain things. I think that just builds on itself. And it's just a way to connect. Like one of my good friends, he's, he has this song his family's been singing for, for, generations. This is some kind of like back and forth song that him and his daughter sing now. And he played it for me and she's six. And it was beautiful because they were like able to sing this song together and have this connection yeah. that you typically won't have with a six-year-old. And you're able to meet on this level of music that 
it's just a really beautiful thing. And it's an amazing way to like have memories and, and just connect with your child that you wouldn't think of, I think. Let me ask an opposite question. Sure. We're having this conversation and it, the assumption is that it's good to encourage creativity right. in children. But is there an argument to be made that we shouldn't encourage creativity in children? Should we encourage maybe more, you know, we're talking about the right brain sort right. of stuff, right? Should there be more encouragement to the left brain? I'll give you an example. Sure. As a youth, I did a creative thing. I did an art project. I don't know how I must have been five or six years old and I got a bunch of brown paper bags and I drew faces on them because right. I was going to do brown paper bag puppets. You know, you stick your hand and you do a little of that. Right. Made a couple of these and they were fine. They had, you know, an eye, ears and a nose and an eye. And then I went around the neighborhood, walked around by myself to sell these brown paper bag puppets, my creative thing. And my neighbors would be like, oh, thanks, Ben. You know, how much do you want for them? Right. And I said, I don't know. You tell me. Right. I don't know. Right. You know? <laughs> and I've been a bad businessman ever since. Mm. So I think that story connected. Mm. Sure. Which, no, absolutely. Which is it possible to overdo the creativity with children? Should we I mean, encourage a practical side? I mean... I don't think so. I think practical lessons can come out of creativity, ah. but I don't think that there's like, don't do that. This is the thing too. Someone said this. I don't know who said it. It was a comedian or something, but think about all of the great artists that we never got to hear because mm -hmm. one friend was like, put that down. What are you doing? That's stupid. You know what I mean? Like it could be that one person that was like to say to Jimi Hendrix, what are you doing? You know? So it's like, I can't imagine a parent would ever want to kill someone's creativity. Even if you think it's dumb or silly, they don't look at it as like a brown paper bag with eyes. They see a whole world around that. I think the more that you can encourage a child to be creative, the more you're allowing them to be free. And I've seen it with even my own parents. Like my dad wanted to be creative and his dad was like, my dad's Korean and his grandfather was really Korean. And he was like, nah, we ain't doing that. Yeah. This guitar stuff ain't, you're going to business school. You know, and, you know, I've been really lucky to have a parent that was like, you don't have to go to business school. You can be a creative. Do you have any memories from your youth growing up where you remember your parents encouraging this sort of creativity? He always encouraged. I don't have any specific ones, but he was always into me playing guitar and being in band and any kind of, you know, I think probably creatively, I was a little bit more wild than they ever expected because I was just a weird child. I was this half Korean that grew up in Arkansas where there's maybe one other Asian kid in the whole school. So like I was already kind of an outsider already and I just loved weird things and I, it, they never stopped me. Yeah. You know, I was a weird kid, but then I found creativity. I was like, Oh, I can, Oh, I can finally put this somewhere. But yeah, they allowed me to be me. And I think that was really, and he encouraged me to get into music and it to this day, he's still incredibly encouraging. And it's really, Cause I have friends whose parents aren't encouraging and it's just, it sucks Yeah, because you want your parents to dig what you're doing. You want your parents to be like, good job. You're doing great. But to be in the creative field, it also takes a lot of courage because you're kind of alone a lot and you're having to kind of figure out how to make people pay attention to what you're doing. And as you know, it's like, it's a one man band in a lot of ways you connect with people, but especially with what I'm doing and when I make kids music and I bring people on the project to do it with me, they're not kids artists, they're musicians. So I'm still driving the train, but they have been always been incredibly supportive of whatever I've done. Let's talk about the adults for a second. Sure. The new parents who are, like I said, trying to make sure this child survives and it thrives right. and are, are worried about a lot of practical things. In addition to working with a lot of 
kids, you've probably worked with a lot of parents right. and they've been on the wings. And, and my question is, how do we encourage a childlike curiosity in parents sure. and, and reawaken that part of them mm. as they have these newborns? Well, it's common because you have a kid and that, that childlike innocence and curiosity and enthusiasm, you won't be able to deny it. It's part of your life now. And that's what's so fun about seeing friends have kids and people I know is it really opens them up and it makes them sweeter and it makes them makes them sillier. And I think so many serious people around, I think just having just to be able to cut loose a little bit is helpful. And, and I know that, you know, that might not be someone's natural trait to be silly or whatever. And that's okay too. It's just allowing, but being okay with being silly and being okay with kind of meeting the kids or that and been playing with them and being available for that. I think it's really important to be able to be there with them and do it, encourage that because you don't want to kill that. You know, when, as you know, when someone's killed your dream or something you're excited about, like that's a horrible feeling when you're excited about something and someone just says, that's no, don't do that. You know? And you know, it took me a lot of years, especially where I grew up. There just weren't, it was a lot of don't do that, but it makes me laugh. So like I'm entertaining myself at this point. So luckily I had the the self-confidence to be able to kind of push through that. But when anyone tells you, you shouldn't do that when you're just having fun. And and obviously you want, you know, you want your kids to grow up to respect. You want them to have manners. You want them to be productive human beings. So obviously you have to check them and you have to be a parent, but when it's time to have fun, I think just encouraging that does nothing, but brings the best out of your child. And it brings out the best out of you because when your child's at a space, it brings, it makes you want to be great. So I just can't imagine anyone to kill that enthusiasm they have for their kid. We're talking about music a lot, obviously, but like, I don't think what we're saying is, Hey, if your kid likes music, you need to now go learn play the right. guitar and, yeah, and, totally. and, you know, be said, but it could be any activity. Right. If, if your child takes an interest in skiing, you right. know, try to ski with him or her, or right. if they want to play dollhouse for, for an afternoon, like right. be open to playing dollhouse. I think it's just being open to something that might initially cause a little pause or, or discomfort yeah, in the I, parent. And how do we know this? Cause we are parents. <laughs> <laughs> This kind of goes for anyone though, really be open, you know, and I've really tried to do that lately. Just be an open person, be someone that's like open to something that you're kind of scared to do and have these experiences because it's like, why not? I mean, we got this life. Why not try it? Yeah. And I know most people are not just don't have the freedom. Like I have, you know, people have nine to fives, they have kids, they have all these things. And it's like the clock is ticking, but you know, when you have a kid, you are allowed freedom to kind of open yourself up to these things too. That's the thing too, man. If they see you open to trying new things and being available, they see that. They recognize that. And that might not be something that they recognize the first 18 years, but they will take that trade on too. And I think that's important because there's certain things I look back and I think like, you know, I should work harder. And I think about my dad, how hard he works. I was like, man, he's still working hard. And just looking back on things like whether you like it or not, they're going to take what you do want. And that's kind of the thing about being a parent is like, you know, you want to reset some of the things that their parents did to them Oh yeah. to like, okay, well this stops here because we're not doing this anymore. Breaking the cycle, breaking which, the which cycle. is a big theme with nurture the next. Right. But what good cycles do you want to start? So, yes. and I think being open is you want your kid to be curious. You want to be a curious person because that is what can take you to places you never expected that you would go. And I think that the more that you can be open, the more your child's going to be open to things. I really think that. 
I want to get to the music here in a second, but sure. I want to hear, I really like the story you told earlier about the quiet kid and, and how you sort of opened him up. Right. Are there any other kind of anecdotes that spring to mind of over the years where you've played just cause I love stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I try to do with my five-year-old's class is I'll say, okay, floor is open. Anyone wants to sing a song or I'll say, if anyone wants to sing a song with made up words, floor is yours, you know, and at first kids are a little nervous and they don't want to do it. But then once they know every week that they can go and just sing about what they want to sing about, man, it is incredible. It is just such pure expression. And what they're singing about is, you know, there was one, one time a girl, what was her name? I can't, Charlotte was her name. And Charlotte was by far the best of anyone that would do this. But every week she would, she would sing a song and had, she like had some soul to her. She was five, but I could tell that, I mean, this girl has some soul about her. And she, one time she sang a song about, what was it about? It was about love. Love was the sky and how clouds were the family in the sky. It was just this beautiful analogy about love. And I think I was just crying. You were actual tears? Oh my, it was just incredible. Mr. Steve, are you okay? And I was like, Mr. Steve cries too, y'all. And I think that's, you know, anywhere I go, it's just trying to connect and it's trying to just be the fun and show people how, what music can be. I've been so blessed to be able to connect and, and speak to children and have conversations with them that are so funny and so honest. And especially when you set that platform up for them to be able to speak and not be nervous around people, it's amazing what will yeah. come out. I did this radio show called The Early Birds and Mr. Steve for three and a half years, I think four years. And it was crazy because kids would call in. I'd say, okay, what do you wish grew on trees or whatever? And what it did is when kids would call in, they would be comfortable to talk on the radio or leave a message. They could, they would leave messages and I would play the messages, but they're comfortable because a, they know me and they know I'm not going to make fun of them. They know I'm not going to, I'm only kids here. Kids don't want to be embarrassed. They want to go through their day and not no. feel like. They're embarrassed. That's the thing with the radio show. Whenever I do, they know I'm the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. They know you can't act silly me. And so if they see someone being sillier than them, they can be a little bit silly. So what it did is it laid a foundation of a, I can trust Mr. Steve and B I'm in my room. I'm in my car. I'm in my house. I'm comfortable where I'm at. And so it's, they're not live. They really leave these messages. So it, it just, it just set kids up for amazing conversations and amazing directions and amazing just stories. And I think that's too, is like just ha is setting that place of comfort and being able to allow them to be silly and allow them to be comfortable because if they can be comfortable, then they don't have to be nervous about what they're doing or mm -hmm. shy. You know, and the last thing we need is to create a foundation where kids feel self-conscious or right. nervous. They're going to feel that already in uh, the digital social media age sure. with, with Instagram and all that. And sure. we'll plug for our Pete Dunlap episode yeah. there, digital detangler. So now is not the time to create more constraints or more feelings of self-consciousness. No. And, and you're going to do that with your kid. I mean, you're going to, you're going to say something which you don't even think about. That's going to be with them forever. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's like, did I just scar my child forever by doing that? You know, Isn't but it's it crazy how just when you grow up, like the littlest things that probably are nothing comments to parents or adults stick with you. Yeah. I can remember like half a dozen things right. and I'm like, Oh, I still think about that. <laughs> no. It's, it's crazy. And so I think as far as musically, I just need to be able to have a comfortable spot. I need to be able to allow them to be free. And then when they're at home, they typically are. I mean, I can't imagine you would have a, you know, obviously some households are horrible, but in general, kids just want what's the best for their children. And 
you know, having a house of music and having a house that plays songs, it's just joy. Like you're asking me when my first memories too of music and my dad was one, but one of my first was when I went to a friend's house and these big, tall speakers and they played, you can call me out by Paul Simon, which it just blew me away with the sound and the, and the instruments and the groove and the feel. And you just don't know when something like that is going to stick with the kid. Yeah. You don't know when that moment is going to be there, you know? So it's like allowing yourself to have these moments all the time. So whenever it's time, whenever that brain remembers that, then yeah. it's like, there it is. So if I could just summarize what I'm talking about, sing to your kids, didn't matter what you say, didn't matter how you sing or how you do it and what you're singing. And obviously there's tried and true songs, you know, as I said, there's uh, wheels on the bus, there's five monkeys, five monkeys, there's old McDonald, there's twinkle, twinkle, head, shoulders, knees and toes. There's all these clack. You just type in traditional kid songs. Yeah. Go to YouTube and you'll be there's baby shark. Baby shark's a new classic. And that's the thing. Like it's a hook and it just gets in their brain. Like kids like hooks. So I would encourage parents to sing with their children. I would encourage them to take them out to see live music because maybe they're not, they don't have instruments around the house, but exposing them to people playing music, you know, whether it's coming to see Mr. Steve show or it's going to the Ryman to go see a bluegrass show or whatever exposure and, and play them. And honestly, play them the music that you like. If you like rap music, play them rap music. And I know there's certain stuff that certain words you don't want them to hear, but sometimes I'm like, they're going to hear it. Might as well hear it from Kendrick Lamar. You know what I mean? It's like, might as well hear it in a great spot. So that's neither here nor there as far as like what you play for them, but play them songs that you like. Yeah. And whether they like it or don't, that's okay. And then it's also, so it's like sing to them, play music in the house and tell them to go see live music and be silly with them. I don't know what else I can tell people to do than those four things, yeah. really. And, you know, we've been talking not exclusively, but you're obviously your area is music, right. but I love music. Yeah. I, you should have seen my Spotify wrapped. I, I spent a lot of time. What was number one? I can't, I don't want to <laughs> do too embarrassing. I don't want to reveal it, but she's a great pop star, but I never could sing. I can never play an instrument. So encourage other creative, if it's writing, if it's sure. something artistic, you know, the ability to paint, like it's, right. it's any creative avenues. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it's all the same creatively creativity, whether you're writing a song or cooking a meal or painting a picture or any number of things. Yeah. Playing basketball at a high level. Creativity is, it's just there. And it's whatever medium it shows itself in. And it's like, then that's what I was talking about enthusiasm, man. Like if me and you want to write a song and you don't know how to write a song, but if you're excited about it, we could write a song. You know what I mean? It's like, there just needs to be enthusiasm with what you're doing. Mr. Steve music, man, don't know your last name. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. I great. Yep. Any kind of final, final things you wanted to say you summarized earlier. Pretty great. Just play music. It's not complicated. Sing with your kids. Yeah. That's all. If you get anything at all from this, sing with your kids. Sing with your kids. Even if you're not a good singer, doesn't matter. Sing with them. And if people want to sing with you or learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah. So at Mr. Steve Music on Instagram, and, and that's my website, Mr. Steve Music. I'm on Spotify. I've got a couple of records on there. I just did some stuff with Arkansas PBS. So there's 12 animated vocabulary songs that are really cool. I mean, one of the songs is up for some public media award, which is cool. 
It's called B&D, which was a little hit that we wrote. So yeah, just check it out. Say, hey, if you heard me on this and I would love to connect. And if you're in Nashville or in the area, would love to come play the birthday party. Enthusiasm. Oh yeah, excited. Send us out with a little muse. Uh, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. That's all I got. Thank you for listening to I Sleep Great, a non-parent's guide to parenting. Sponsored by Nurture the Next and Saracor. To learn more, please visit nurturethenext.org and follow I Sleep Great on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.